Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. First of all, in Ephesians chapter 2 says, I am dead in my sin. My spirit is dead in my sin. So if I am dead in my sin, I am so dead, I can't in my flesh do anything to please God. No matter how much I want to please Him, and I might think I'm pleasing Him, and religious, religion, not Christianity, will tell you, do this and you'll please God. God says, you're not pleasing me. Because it's not about your lifestyle. It's about faith. And faith in itself doesn't please me because it has to have the right object and it's got to be Christ. Now watch, when I place my faith in Christ, all of a sudden I get a new spirit within me. Now that new spirit, goes back to the nature part as well, and the Holy Spirit in my life, gives me every capacity to now properly, authentically, genuinely, biblically please Him with the right motive. And now it gives me the strength through Him to live a life that'll be pleasing to Him. So that's why in order for me to even change I have to have a new spirit, and that spirit's got to be regenerated through the Holy Spirit in my life. That's why this passage says, but your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Watch this. Not your righteousness, but God's righteousness. Are you okay so far? Take a deep breath. I have to do that because I think I spoke so fast, I've got to catch my own breath up here. But now some of you are saying, but wait a minute, it says righteousness to have the spirit, doesn't it? That's why it says... It's not by my righteousness, it's by his righteousness. He then took my unrighteousness on himself and he gave me his righteousness. So yes, it is by righteousness that I get the Spirit, but not my righteousness. It's by his rightness of what he did for me on the cross and then him put it on my account, his righteousness, so I could have eternal life. Now folks... You probably won't hear a lot of this stuff in other churches. You may hear it in a Bible study or two. You might have to go to some connection group or maybe read it in a book. And I'm really trusting that the Holy Spirit is helping you track with me so that you can understand this is why we can change. Yea, this is why we should change because we have a new nature and we have the Holy Spirit within us. But that's not all that happens here. Let's go a little bit further here. The Holy Spirit will give life to my body. Now that gets really kind of woo-woo-woo. What do you mean life to my body? Let's read it and you'll understand it better here. It says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, And I believe that he is, because in the whole context, it's talking to believers. So you could say, if and since he is the one who raised Jesus from the dead and he's living in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead, and by the way, pause for a moment. When Jesus was dead, I want you to see him being dead after he was totally brutalized on the cross. His body was just racked and and ripped for being on the cross for us. And that shredded body was wrapped up and put into some dark, dingy, musty tomb with a huge rock in front of it that nothing and no one could pull it apart or pull it away apart from God. Now, that's this dead body. Then it goes on to say, He who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your, what kind of body? Mortal body, again, through His Spirit. So look up here. My wife likes to say... um, that she's going to put a little sign on my coffin when I die, if I should die before her, and I'm likely to. Not that she'll, well, anyway, I might die early. She'd say, this is just the shell. The real nut's gone. That's what she'd like to say. In a sense, there's some truth in that. Now, sure, my body is going to decay. We, we, used, we would call it an internment. An internment is where you take a body in a casket and you put it in the ground. An internment is when you take that 
cremated body in an urn and you put that in a crypt or in the ground. I've done those kinds of memorial services, but I've also done a third one and it's called a paddle out. It's very similar to an inurnment. The only difference is you take all of the ashes and you put it in a calabash or you could put it in a wrapped up tea leaf. You then paddle out as we've done on these outrigger canoes way out past the brick, usually in Waikiki or out behind the Elks. And then we hold it over the water and it drops down and it separates. Now, whether you're in the ground or in a crypt or in the water or you die in a fire or they never find your body, your body, if you're a believer in Christ, because of the Spirit, will give you a brand new body just like that when you die or when Jesus comes back for us. Now, there are some technical aspects to that, but the whole point of the matter is those of you um, are going to be closer to perhaps death statistically because of age than others, although God still keeps us alive for as long as he needs us or wants us, I guess, to serve him on this earth. But no matter what that might be, I get a brand new body. It's hard to believe. John Stott said it this way. He said, this resurrection body will be a perfect vehicle for our redeemed personality. Woo-hoo. Get a new personality, get a new body, and it's going to happen later on. How blessed that really is. Now, before I give you the fifth point, um, I don't have access to a microphone volume thing here. But if you will follow those truths that I've just given you, one, two, three, four, underneath, you get, you get the, the new influence in your life, one, two, three, four. If you follow it logically through that passage as it's covering, it's like turning up the volume and getting a lot louder. Now, that woke up some of you. All right, so we've got, as it's going, it's now building to a crescendo. So at the same time, while God now, through faith in him, gives me a new spirit, gives me a new body, I'm pleasing to him. Now, the whole purpose of him doing this isn't just so that I would, as a Christian... Sit, soak, sour. The purpose for me as a Christian now, as it goes right into the passage, there's an obligation there. Let's look at it in verse 12 and 13. It says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation to a new life to live in Christ, okay? Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. I want to stop for a moment. I don't know what version you have in front of you, but the version that I have refers to the idea of brethren or brothers. Would you circle that? That is not so much Paul as a Jew speaking only to other Jews. He's speaking in writing this letter to Romans, which there was more cases than not, more Gentile Christians than there were Jewish ones. So brothers here, in my belief is, he's talking to those who know Christ as Savior. Somehow put a star by that, because one more time that emphasizes that Romans 8 is talking to those who already know Christ as Savior, again, nailing it that you have eternal security in Christ. It says, therefore, brethren, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it implying that as a Christian, we still have a very active old nature, a sinful nature, and by our own mental choice, we can live according to that. But we have an obligation not to. It says, for if you live, if who lives? Brothers in Christ. Live according to the sinful nature, you will die. Now, there are commentators that will say, well, that means that you never had salvation to start with. Others say that you'll die physically. I believe in this particular case here that that word death means a couple of different applications. One, it will mean, yes, you could die a physical death. Now, how could that be as a believer in Christ, I have an obligation not to live according to the sinful nature, but if I do live according to the sinful nature, I'm going to die physically. Man, that does not take a rocket scientist. If I choose with my mind to now do things with my body that would be risk-taking, whether it's drinking the wrong things or eating the wrong things or going to the wrong places or sexually connecting to things that I should not, like a wife that's clean and pure and a husband clean and pure, that's going to do all sorts of damage to my body because of wrong choices I make and I could die young. 
There are those of you that if you had a chance with the microphone, you could testify to people who made wrong choices. They got drunk, they drove, they crashed their car or motorcycle and died, okay? And by the way, Deborah here, she was clean last week, okay? She wasn't drinking when she had her motorcycle out. I want to make that clear. But coming back to this. So yes, you can end up with a physical death. Some of you say, well, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls to do, so I guess I'm okay. Do you know that there could be choices you make with your sinful nature, your sinful mind, that could still bring about physical death? How can you do that if it's not involved in all this stuff, like crime and violence and all that? Sometimes we worry a lot. We do not put our faith in the Lord. We start worrying. Our sinful nature says, I'm going to control it. There's nothing I can't conceive in my mind that I can't achieve. And we start doing all of this stuff, and the world starts getting, we get our eyes on the world, our eyes on our problem, our eyes on ourselves, our eyes, basically, bottom line, off of the Lord. We now begin to lose our faith. It begins to tremble and fall. And all of a sudden, our body now does crazy things with its hormones and chemicals, which also could begin to destroy us, maybe from the stomach out. I don't know. But there could be a physical death in here. It could be a relational death. And watch this. It's going to be very technical. I hope you can catch this. And yes, not a final death, but there can be a spiritual separation from the Lord. Now, those who would believe you could lose your salvation says, aha, he believes you could lose your salvation. It's not what I believe. It's what the Bible teaches. I do not believe you will ever be separated from the love of God. Okay? Now, stay with me because that's another, another two weeks from now. But with this, though, God loves us. But if I continue with my sinful mind to make choices that would not be pleasing to the Lord, selfish choices, that I will begin to grieve the Holy Spirit. And when you have that grieving situation, it's not so much that God moved, it's that we began to move. So there's a separation. He didn't stop loving us, didn't stop gracing us, but there is that grieving. And if I continue in willful sin, and I know that I'm doing this wrong, I'm, I'm maintaining attitudes and actions that are not right, I move way beyond the grieving of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm quenching the Spirit. And when you get to the point of quenching the Spirit, you'll never quench Him away. But you quench Him to the point that now you can begin to doubt your salvation. You begin to give it all up. You're on such a slippery slope then that it may take some type of a dramatic intervention of God or God using God's people or an event or an experience in your life to get you now to fully resurrender back to the Lord again. Not for salvation, but because you are. So we have a new obligation in our life. It goes on to say, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you, that's your choice, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So the truth is not, I'll never change. The truth is, I will change inevitably. I know I've got to move quickly here, but we had so much before I started speaking. I've got to move a little quicker here, but... Some of you are saying, what do you mean you'll inevitably change? Do you remember at the beginning of the sermon I said, we will definitely change the moment we die and we stand before him. Whether the rapture takes us believers up to heaven or whether we die physically, we'll change then. We'll already be, we'll have our perfect body. No sorrows, disease, pain, crying, all of that. Revelation 22. But why wait till then? Why don't we start changing right now? Why, what are we going to wait for? I know that um, some people like to wait for January 1st going to set my New Year's resolution. And I want to commend you. Some of you need a point in the calendar to begin again. Some parents like to say, we're going to start things all new again when school starts because that's a new calendar for us. And I commend you for that. You're using some kind of a point of reference to make the change. That's, that's great. But why wait till then? Why, why, why waste a few days, a few months? And for some of you say, I'll change when I get married. I'll change when I get a new job. I'll change when blah, blah, blah happens. Why wait? 
Why not let the Holy Spirit begin changing it now by choices that you make? Well, I've given you two. I've got to give you the third one. So let's rip through this one. This one is almost a given. But I have a new father. That's why I can change. I have a new father. Some of you that are hearing me, you um, feel like you've never had a father. Maybe you never knew your father. Maybe you had... Maybe you'd like a better father. Maybe you'd like to have so-and-so as your father. Some of you would say, boy, I wish I had James Dobson as my father. Maybe you ought to interview their kids. No, I don't know. I'm sure he's a good guy, all right? But instead of all of that, why don't you just say, it's not, I wish I had a better father. I wish I knew my father. I wish I had so-and-so as a father. Why don't you just forget all of that stuff for a moment and say, thank God that I have God Almighty as my father. That is so foreign to people that have been so abused by poor people fathering, maybe parenting, that it's so hard for you to say, you know what, that's them, but God is not them. And I love the Lord, and, and I have him. He is my father. Look at the passage here, because having God as our father is so important. It tells us that I'm led by his spirit. It says, because those who are led by the spirit of God are the, not just children of God, the sons of God. Oh, how, how to know that you have someone that could come into your life and give you wise advice and to lead you. Right now, I'm in a, I'm a little bit of a quandary. I have confidence that God's going to lead me because I'm his child, but I don't know where this journey is going to take me exactly, and I don't know what the end decision is going to be yet. Can I share this with you? I shared it Wednesday, and it won't take me long. Don't worry. I'm not thinking about quitting the church. Nobody would have me anywhere else, so I'm staying here. So my point is simply this. At the beginning of the year, I want to do something on a, on a sacred assembly. I want to bring us back together around the, the, the purity and the intimacy with the Lord. But at the same time, it's, that fuels our outreach. So to fuel our outreach, I want to go through another book of the Bible. Every year I go through one book expositionally. And so I want to cover a book of the Bible. And I'm thinking about Nehemiah, John, or Romans. And I've asked the Wednesday night crowd to give me their opinion on what they think I should do. And so I'm getting some emails back from people. And I said, don't send me an email if you are going to get hurt if I go a different direction. And so if you got it, give it to me. Now, I'm still saying, but Lord, it is not what I want to teach. I do want to hear what the sheep are hungry for and needing in their life, or maybe they're inquisitive, they're curious about what the Bible has to say. I want to know that, but Lord, what truths do you want us as a family together, me, you, everybody, to learn from your book? It's a vast book, 33,000 Bible verses. And what particular book do you want me to teach? So here's my confidence. I have a father. He's your father. He's called me as your brother, as a shepherd brother, to now take his word to you and watch, and to take you to him and together to do this. The joy I have in my changed life is I sleep really good at night. I don't know what I'm going to teach yet, but I know at the right time as I lean on him and I fast and pray and I read through these books and sense his presence that once it comes out, you can be assured if my heart was right, only God knows that, and I think it is, whatever that is, it'll be the book God wants you to hear, and that means that you should be in this journey with us because he has something to speak to you about that. So that's number one. Number two, I have God as my father. That means I'm no longer a slave to fear. For you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Man, I hate that I'm running out of time, but I've got to say this about this Abba Father. We have one of our deacons here. He's a Bible teacher. He's up this morning. His name is Scott Wells. Those of you that are listening on radio, you don't know Scott from Adam or, or whatever, but 
Scott, when he prays, you'll notice most every time he prays, he always says, Abba, Father. How many of you just kind of noticed that about Scott? Would you raise your hand? And you thought, that is so weird. You know, why does he do that? Well, I think why he does it is because he's really following this context of Scripture. You see the word Abba and you see the word Father. First part, Abba was, was a word that meant intimacy, but it's a word that's in the Aramaic, which would refer more to the Jewish background. Not so much Hebrew, that's what the Bible was in, but when they spoke in those days in an Aramaic language. And so Abba was Aramaic. Father was speaking more to the Jewish Gentiles. And so what we're really seeing here is that the model is Paul speaking here. We cry unto him, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whatever your background is, we're all one in Christ Jesus, so it's crossing all ethnic backgrounds, and you have God as your father, and that's a reason you can change no matter what your background is. You can't say, I'm this way because I was born this way through my ethnic background. It doesn't make any difference any longer. You have God as your father. The other is the word Abba is a word that means intimacy with the Lord. Now, I thought this was interesting because the Jewish people would never refer to God the Father as that level of intimacy because they saw God as being Lord Adonai Elohim. And so as they looked to God, he was so powerful, so authoritative. So they wouldn't do that. They would speak to him more as father part of it, which is more formal or authoritative. So why does it say Abba here? Because God now, through progressive revelation, is wanting us to know that, yes, he is a formal, authoritative figure in our life as father, but he is also one that can be touched by us in a very intimate relationship. Now, this might really help you. When Jesus, before he was to be executed, as you recall in Scripture, you'll notice that he cried unto, in his weakest moments there, Abba, Father. So Jesus himself, who was a Jew, at the same time was showing us as a model that when we are going through something, we have the intimacy with the Lord, but at the same time, we seem as all authoritative. So now you can't really separate the two. You bring them both together. And that's the joy of having that father. And that's why you can change. Because while your father is saying, you need to change, quit that in your life. That same father says, and I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And the other part of the father says, but I love you. For you, that must be very difficult, and I'm going to mercy you. I'm going to grace you. I'm going to come alongside you. I will never leave you. I'll help you because I know what's on the other side when you choose to do this. Isn't that good to have a God like that who's also your father? Oh, goodness sakes. So I cry out unto him. We've already covered that, so just put that down as I cry out unto his name. I'm so glad that I can do that. And finally, the Spirit testifies with my spirit that we are his children. That's why I can change. Because I know that I know that I know that I know that I'm a believer. Now, I want to help you with this and I'm going to bring this to a close. A lot of times when people read that passage that says, and the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God, we put a lot of emphasis on God's spirit bearing witness with my spirit and we really get into the emotion thing of this thing. So in other words, if I really feel that I'm saved or there's an emotional time of connectivity with God and maybe it happens through music or candles or something, that there's that real moment that's there. I do believe there is a mystical thing going on here. I can't fully explain it, can't fully define it. But I want to caution you that we don't put so much weight on, I have the assurance of my salvation when I experience God's Spirit connecting to my spirit. Why? Because my spirit is still, as we learned the whole morning, is still so influenceable 
by my sinful mind, and all of a sudden, I can begin to doubt my salvation. In other words, if I don't feel saved, that must mean I'm not saved. I feel saved, therefore I am saved. So we put a lot on that mystical union that's there. So while there is an element of mystical connection, then I have to interpret what does it mean if his spirit bears witness with my spirit. Well, one way his spirit bears witness with my spirit is we know that his spirit right here is going to agree with God's word. So nothing in God's word is going to be contrary to the spirit of God. He will not lead, teach, prompt, convict anything apart from God's word. So God now uses his word. The spirit bears witness with my spirit through God's word right here. So you have the living word, spirit, Christ, and you have the written word here. And so now he now speaks to me. One more thing. I now can understand his power and his presence and the reality of him as a spirit in my life because what I said at the very beginning, the truth is I can change. There are things in my life that you don't know, that you don't need to know. But before I was saved and after I was saved, that were so enslaving, I could not change, but it took something so supernatural. And by the way, you, you have a change in your life. You might think, oh, he changed. Therefore, give him the microphone. Let me have a testimony. That's a danger because sometimes people can change by the pure act of will. The real change is a sustainable change over a long period of time that has been tested and Satan is tempted. But the power of God reigned. And you could see that it was only by God's power. So the hand of the supernatural is on the person, not because he can speak in some other language or because he can walk once he was, he was crippled or something. And I'm not putting all that down. But I'm saying the real change is something that happens inside. It's a sustainable change over habits, hang-ups, and hurts in our life. And that's if you trust Christ as Savior. Thank you for giving me this time. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? <clears throat> There's a lot to chew on today. Probably this should have been three messages, but then... They'd have taken us way beyond Christmas. But for right now, would you celebrate as a believer in Christ the fact that God loves you and that all change is possible and probable, that you do not have to just survive and hang on by your fingernails into this Christian life, but you can thrive and celebrate and have the fullness of God and enjoy the fruit of the Spirit and a life that shows results of hurts, hang-ups, and habits. And it all comes because you, by God's grace, has given you a new nature. And then you have a new influencer in your life, the most powerful influencer of all, the Holy Spirit. And that you have a Father in your life who will never leave you, nor forsake you, nor reject you, who will tell you what to do and then come alongside you to be there with you and never leave you nor forsake you so you can celebrate. So right now, worship Him as a believer in Christ and while you have the capacity, it's still a choice. What is it going to take for you or us to make the choice? Since he's given us all things that pertain to godliness in Christ. And those of you who are on the outside, let me tell you, your life is where it is right now. Unless you trust Christ as Savior, the consequence of it is so horrific that even if I read it to you in Scripture, you don't want to believe it. And some people are trying to even take it out of the Bible and say it doesn't mean that. It's that horrific. But it's truth. And so I, if I could scare you into heaven, I would. But I can't 
But I do believe the Spirit of God might be speaking to you this morning in your heart, prompting you, revealing to you that you're a sinner. We all are, but you're a sinner. But Jesus died and paid for your sins. And now he's prompting you to take your little childlike faith and don't worry about the size of your faith. And just take that little faith and put it in Jesus Christ who is the living Son of God, the one that we're going to celebrate his birth. And maybe for you, you can simply say, Lord, I know that I could never be good enough to go to heaven. I can choose to do all the right stuff, but at the end, I'm going to die separated from you. And so, Lord, I want to believe you died and rose again for me. I want to have a new nature. I want to have the Holy Spirit. I want to have you as my father so that I have eternal life in heaven. And now the changes can happen as a result, as a way to say thank you for what you've done, rather than I got to do these things hoping I might make it someday. I know that it won't. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today. As powerful, as rich, it was deep. Most of all, it was life-changing. And Father, we want to thank you that, yes, we can change. Because of Christ, we have victory. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Oh, 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 oh,